You're listening to Portfolio Builders, a wealth cap holdings podcast about long-term wealth building and financial independence. Here are your hosts, Chris Evans and Taylor Welch. How's it going, everybody? Chris Evans here, and welcome to the Portfolio Builders podcast. Today on the show, I've got Mr. Brandon Hall. Brandon Hall is the founder of the Real Estate CPA. Uh, They have about 400 plus clients, and we dove into some really great tax strategies. Uh, If you are an entrepreneur, you understand the pain of paying taxes and how it can just hurt. And so um, Brandon, he works with about 400 plus clients, mostly focused in the real estate industry. Um, So this dude knows what's going on. He's got a great team. And actually, um, we use his services for our own stuff. So um, they have been great to work with. So it was a a pleasure to dive in and get some of his thoughts. Um, And there was a little bit of an issue during the interview. I'm not sure if we'll get it edited out, but there were tornado sightings while I was recording this interview, so you might hear a little bit of disturbance. But other than that, everything worked out well, and we made it to the end successfully. So let's go ahead and jump in, and you guys enjoy this interview. So Brandon, we've got listeners all over the world tuning in right now by the millions. Just kidding. Not by the millions, but... People want to know who you are. Who is this man with the beautiful golden locks if they can't see? What's your two-minute story, man? Tell us who you are and what you do. Yeah, so I'm a CPA. I run the Real Estate CPA. Uh, We are a CPA firm that focuses uh, exclusively on real estate investors and real estate businesses across the United States. We've got about 500 clients all over the place. Uh, They're all in real estate. Most of my team invests in real estate as well. So we all, we like kind of uh, eat, breathe, and, and live real estate. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I started off um, at PwC, a big four consulting, then went to Ernst & Young and uh, really didn't like the corporate environment. So started this on the side and was able to eventually move into it full time. And uh, we just kind of recognized that real estate's a really underserved niche and and it's something that we're good at and we love. And it's very complex when it comes to tax and accounting. And so that's great for us because we can come in and and help a lot of people save a lot of money. So how did you identify that it was an underserved, an underserved market? And why did you decide to go all in on real estate as your kind of, yeah, kind of did that on accident. I was talking to a couple of my colleagues at the time about launching a firm and one of them had launched a firm on his own and, you know, he was like, don't go into real estate. There's no money to be made there for CPAs. So that was indicator number one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but then I found biggerpockets.com and I just started, uh, th- there were tons of tax questions and very few people yeah. actually giving good answers. And so I, I was a- actually able to hit that first wave of tax accounts that got onto Bigger Pockets, And I was able to answer a lot of questions, kind of got addicted to it. I was getting a lot of really good positive yeah. feedback instantly. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, so just started there and it sort of snowballs. It kind of accidentally figured out that it was underserved and now we know it's underserved and we know how to kind of exploit that, I guess, from a uh, growth perspective. And how long have you guys been specializing in real estate? So I started, I started the firm in 2015 officially and it's been real estate since day one. Mm. Nice. Um, so we came to you a couple months ago and we were like, Brandon, help us, <laughs> help us. 
Uh, and I think that's the probably the the thought and and cry of many many uh, entrepreneurs, especially with the taxes that we've paid. So, with that being said, why is real estate um, a great way for entrepreneurs like myself and people listening to this podcast to relieve some of the tax burden that we're faced with? Yeah. So, the big thing in real estate, re- real estate is a great way to build wealth that you don't have to pay tax on and create cash flow streams that you also don't necessarily have to pay tax on today. So when you invest in real estate, you get market appreciation over time and Mm -hmm. you don't actually ever pay tax on that market appreciation until you liquidate the property. But even when you liquidate the property, there's still ways to carry the gain over, um, pass the gain on to your heirs or, or get a stepped up basis. You just never have to pay tax. So you can build wealth on paper and never actually pay tax. And then you can tap into that wealth by refinancing, getting HELOCs and mm. things like that. So it's a good way to build a bank account, essentially a very large bank account and not actually have to pay tax on it. So the secondary piece to this is that you can also, if you're investing in rental real estate or commercial assets, anything that's going to you know, create a lease and some income, yeah. you can create this multiple income streams for yourself that, that you don't pay tax on today. You will have to pay tax at some point um, unless you do pass away and pass the, the real estate mm-hmm. onto your heirs. But you, you can create cash flow today that you don't pay tax on. And, and that's why real estate is so great. You get kind of the best of both worlds. You get this appreciation that you don't have to pay tax on and you get cash flow that you don't necessarily have to pay tax on today. Right. So when someone says, man, I don't know, I feel like I should build my wealth in the stock market or mutual funds or index funds or whatever, how would you, as a CPA and everything that you know, um, how would you respond to that? Well, it's interesting because most of, uh, I very rarely ever have those conversations. <laughs> um, most of our clients are already totally in real estate. They've been in the markets for quite a while and they're trying to move out of the equity markets and into alternative mm. investments such as real estate. If somebody came up to me and, and said, this is the way that I want to, I want to diversify, I would tell them it's a good idea to diversify. Uh, I, I think that it's always great to have exposure to equity and debt markets, but I, you know, me personally, I, I've just seen so much with our clients on on how real estate can build wealth yeah. that it's it's very it's a very convincing path for me. So I will be very uh, overweight real estate and underweight equity markets and debt markets um, for myself personally. But we're CPAs; we can't give financial advice. So uh, <laughs> financial financial investment advice, uh, yeah. Yeah, so you're looking at 500 clients, their portfolios, their wealth building. So you have a pretty good vantage point. Yeah, yeah, and that was one of the key reasons I jumped into it. You know, I I, I stumbled into it with the tax questions, and then on mm-hmm. bigger pockets. And then I was like, you know, if I really build this out, I can figure out from my petri dish of clients essentially if if real estate's actually uh, a good wealth building tool. I was young at the time, and still am young and wanted to make sure that I was putting my money to work in, in good asset classes. And sure enough, real estate's definitely one of them. Yeah. Big headline this week. I don't know if you saw this. Amazon, they pay 1.2% ta- in taxes. People are freaking out about it. Um, so I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on that. Uh, you know, some people are upset. Some people are like, yes, that's amazing. How do I do it? Why is it that the wealthy are able to 
do that when most people are paying their their fortune away to the government yeah so when when you are running a business you have a lot of flexibility in how you report your income to the government uh, there are accounting tricks that you can use you'll have to pay up eventually but there are accounting tricks that you can use to defer income um, and then there's also tax trip tricks that you can use to defer income the wealthy like if i receive a w-2 wage mm -hmm. uh, let's call it 200k that's a pretty solid w-2 wage if I receive a W-2 wage of 200K, I cannot shelter that W-2 wage. There are, there are maybe three things that I can do, um, but it requires me putting a lot of money into it and not getting the greatest return from that investment. So yeah. I just get crushed with taxes. I'm gonna pay my federal rate, I'm gonna pay my state rate if applicable, and I'm gonna pay my social security and Medicare rates. Uh, so I get just destroyed from a W-2 perspective. If I make that same 200K W-2 as a business owner, I can do things to actually reduce that to 100K or to 50K or to zero if I'm, if I'm good enough and, and strategic mm -hmm. enough. So that's the difference. I can still have the 200K of cash flow or the net of taxes, 200K cash flow uh, while, while reducing my tax exposure at the same time. Now, the wealthy, what they do is they, they make investments like, uh, like if we talk about Warren Buffett, right? Like why is Warren Buffett earning less than his secretary? Well, his secretary is earning a W-2 wage. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry, why, why is he paying less effective taxes than his secretary? His secretary is earning a W-2 wage. Warren Buffett is not. He is earning capital gain income, which is taxed at lower effective rates than a high W-2 wage is. Why does Amazon pay such low tax? Because they're making investments where they can claim bonus depreciation. Uh, so I can put a million dollar cash investment into some piece of equipment or some piece of real estate, and I can get bonus depreciation for that. Um, sometimes I can write the entire $1 million off. Now, uh, it's, it's me investing, so it's not an actual operating mm. expense, um, meaning it's not going to reduce my net operating income if I'm buying equipment or real estate, but I do get to reduce my net taxable income via depreciation. So there's, there's things like that, that the wealthy have exposure to and can run with. And when you're on the business owner side of the coin, you just have that much more flexibility in how you actually, and how, how the dominoes fall at the end of the day and yeah. what, what options are available to you to reduce tax. So, you know, this, uh, because you've seen our stuff and uh, you kind of know our story that we've been through a lot of CPAs. Anyway, it's just been, it seems like failure after failure and guys or gals not really being able to come up with the right strategy uh, for us. So the question is, what separates um, a good CPA from a bad CPA and how does someone identify, okay, this is my guy or gal and who I need to go with? Yeah. So there's a couple things to kind of unpack there, right? Uh, I, I like to explain to our clients or, or, or people that our potential clients, I like to explain to them that there's typically three phases of working with a tax advisor. There's phase number one, where I've been doing all the tax stuff myself, I've been doing all the accounting myself, and now I'm just ready to hand it off. And what mm -hmm. most people do is they, when they go for the handoff, they end up handing it off to somebody that charges them a very, very cheap rate. Uh, and then they do that for a couple of years. And then they realize, okay, the cheap is not working. I'm asking questions that this person does not understand or does not give me good answers on. So now I'm going into phase two. 
I'm looking for some technical experience at this point. Um, I want to make sure that this person is doing things correctly. So then that's a little bit more expensive, a little bit more mid-grade. Uh, but then what happens is you're typically working with a smaller CPA firm where the, the owner is also servicing every single client. So that means that the owner is focused on client service, team management, and scale. And uh, you being a business owner, I'm sure that you understand that you really can't mm -hmm. focus on all of that and yep. something's got to give, right? Yeah. So then we enter phase three where we get to, okay, we want technical experience and a good client experience. I want to not only be able to hand this off and understand that it's done correctly, but I want to feel like that person is looking out for me. Um, and that's where our firm sits. Now, we're definitely not experts at it, uh, but that's where we try to position ourselves. Um, and so what that means for me is I'm not the point of contact for any client. And that allows me to instead hold my technical team accountable right. to different things. And it also allows me to focus on scale and growth. So, you know, good CPA versus bad CPA. There's definitely the technical piece first that if you're looking for a CPA, you need to make sure that you are getting somebody that has the good technical experience. 88% of the tax returns that I review as part of our sales process have errors or missed opportunities in them. Mm. Um, and that's just due to lack of technical experience. But you, so you want to make sure that's right. But you also have to understand that it costs more money to get the client experience. And I think that when you are willing or when your business scales to the point where you can go that route, you'll see a very stark difference between what you've had in the past versus what you, what this current firm is now giving you. And, and that's, that's the, so if you're looking for that client experience, that could be good to you. Um, that's kind of the big difference there, but most CPAs are pretty good at the technical stuff they, they will miss a little bit of like, like, especially in real estate, it's just so niche and complicated that yeah. things do get missed. Uh, but, uh, as long as you got a pretty solid technician, then you've got a pretty solid CPA. And then it just gets to the point where you need that extra, extra effort with the relationship. And, and that's typically where we see people scale out. Yeah, I appreciate how you guys communicate as professional and it feels good um, because it gives you the ability to be strategic and think high level, what you were just talking about. But <clears throat> can you just give me an example of the technical side, like what that looks like if someone's a good technician? Yeah, so I'll talk specifically related to real estate because that's what I know inside and out. <clears throat> um, most CPAs do not understand uh, most CPAs are not even aware of the 2013 tangible property regulations. And then those that are don't really know how to step through them effectively. Mm -hmm. um, so to give you an example, you know, I can review a tax return. Let's say you buy a 10 unit multifamily building and all units are under one roof and all HVAC units are in one system. Well, the 2013 tangible property regulation says that if you go and replace two HVAC units of the 10, you've not made a material improvement to the HVAC system which means that we can write off the cost to replace those HVAC units. We don't have to capitalize and depreciate mm -hmm. it. CPAs who have, they might be strong technicians, but because real estate's that niche, they might say, oh, well, this is a capital improvement, which isn't technically wrong. Um, or well, I guess isn't wrong in theory, but it is technically wrong when we're applying the 2013 tangible property regulations, but they'll go and capitalize it and slowly write off the cost of it via depreciation over 27 and a half years. So not only are you recovering your costs over 27 and a half years, but then when you sell the property, you have depreciation recapture tax related to that HVAC system or, or those two HVAC units. So that's kind of the difference. It's just a, you can get somebody that's really good technically that knows 90%, but that extra 10% can be the difference of millions of dollars in tax savings. 
Um, yeah. And, and that, that's, is that, is that a good example? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely sounds very nerdy, but that's, that's why you guys do what you do. So what about the strategic side? It's to me, uh, of course, you got the technical, the guy who really knows the ins and outs of the law and how it's all structured and what you can and cannot do. But then on the strategic strategic side, with someone like us, you know, we might have some different variables. How important is that to actually getting it across the finish line and making sure that you have reduced as much of your tax burden as possible and that it's safe and legal and you yeah. know you're not going to jail. <laughs> Yeah, well, there's there's a whole lot of factors when when you when you're running a business and investing in real estate, um, mm-hmm. it becomes very complex very quickly because you've got different sort different types of income streams. You've got ordinary income from your business, you've got passive yeah. income from the real estate, and we're trying to figure out how can we how can we number one eliminate your rental real estate income so you don't pay tax on it. But then number two, is there a way to take that and offset the business income as well and really drive some tax savings there? So. It's definitely a lot to look at. And what we'll do is we'll sit down um, and we will we'll dive into the details on the business side. We'll look at entity structuring. Uh, we'll understand who owns the business. We'll look at operating agreements to understand how income is supposed to be allocated between everybody, how distributions are supposed to be allocated between everybody. Then we'll look at the real estate, sort of run the same sort of analysis there as well. And then we'll try to we'll ask ourselves, OK, how can we then merge these two? Um, do we need to restructure? Uh, do we need to do we need to add entities to this portfolio um, to siphon profits off and and shelter mm-hmm. profits? Do we need to tell the client to buy certain types of assets? Maybe you need to go and buy a mobile home park so that you can depreciate eighty mm-hmm. percent of the purchase price. Uh, maybe you don't need to do that at all. Maybe you just need to invest in syndications or funds that are going to run cost seg studies um, because there's benefits there too. So it, it becomes a first get the lay of the land understand yeah. all the components, understand the client's goals, where they're trying to go, and then sit back and say, okay, what tax strategies here are the most important to focus on? Some, sometimes people will come to us when we used to do this, we used to say, okay, you need a home office. You need to um, track all of your miles. You need to record all of your $2, you know, coffee receipts and all that stuff. And, uh, and as we kind of like built our experience up, we kind of realized like, no, there's really like, 10 or so really hard hitting strategies. And we want to give mm-hmm. you the two or three that are the highest, best use of your time. Right. Yeah, sure. We'll claim home office, but we're not going to sit there and spend hours and hours talking to you about it because that's a thousand dollar deduction versus what we could do over here. If we pivot, we can save 30 or 40 or $50,000 in taxes. Yeah. So why is real estate um, a good place for, I guess, tax reduction overall for an yeah. entrepreneur? Yeah, so circling back, right? We've got the we've got the two aspects of making money in real estate. First is that wealth building, that appreciation. We're not going to pay tax on it until we actually liquidate. The second is the current cash flow that we're getting from our rental real estate activities. We're probably not going to pay tax on that either. The big reason we're not going to pay tax on that is something called depreciation, which I've been kind of tossing out here in the past yeah. past few minutes. Depreciation is a it's a phantom expense. And it's a phantom expense because we don't actually have to pay for, we don't have to expend money every single year in order to claim depreciation expense. Uh, Instead, it's tracking technically the deterioration of our asset over time. So it's like a little credit that the IRS gives you for making this investment upfront. So I buy a million dollar property, 
I depreciate that. I appreciate the building value of that a million dollars. I can't depreciate land. So first I take that million dollars and I say, all right, 900 K is allocated to land. If it's residential real estate, I'm, I'm spreading the cost of that 900 K out over 27 and a half years. So I don't know what that would come to, but let's call it like $20,000 in depreciation. I get, I get to claim a $20,000 expense every single year for 27 and a half years. Um, and I don't have to keep paying for that $20,000. I mm-hmm. made that investment up front. So if I have net cash flow or net operating income of say $15,000 and my depreciation is 20, I get to tell the IRS that I lost 5,000 this year, but I really pocketed 15. And mm-hmm. that's the that's the big benefit of real estate. So once you understand that, mm-hmm. then it comes, we, we kind of come full circle and we start saying, okay, we can make investment decisions now based on this. So if I know that I'm going to show X amount of income, now I can go and buy a certain type of real estate to offset that income. Or if I've got uh, losses coming through, I know that I can, I know that we can try to figure out how to utilize those losses, or I can go and invest in other businesses as a passive partner and, or as a limited partner and, and claim passive income to offset my losses. So you can really create this portfolio of income streams that you don't pay tax on due to this depreciation. So let me just throw something out at you. Um, what are, if, if let's say I take home 300 grand this year and I really want to try to offset as much of that taxable income as possible. Throw out just rapid fire a couple strategies on how I can get that as close to zero in my tax liability as possible. Sure. So we have a couple qualifying questions, right? So the first question is, are you married? The second question is, how is this 300K earned? If this 300K is W-2 income, that limits our ability to claim to to reduce it. If it's not W-2 income, if it's business income, then we would look to the business and figure out, okay, what can we do on the business side? Maybe we're setting up a solo 401k or self-directed IRA. Um, We're sheltering funds there. And then we're looking at the 199A deduction, which is that 20% pass-through deduction. So any money that I put in the 401k helps me with the, with that deduction. And uh, that's a fun thing to look at. But it, let, let's say that we've just got 300K of W-2 income. Let's mm-hmm. say it's you earning it. You have a spouse that's stay at home with the kids. And let's say that you're trying to build out a real estate portfolio. That's kind of a typical scenario. Okay. What we'll do there is we'll ask, can one, is the spouse interested in real estate? <laughs> Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they are after you show them the numbers. Um We'll say, cool, can we, can we make the spouse a real estate professional? Because 300K in income, what that does is it phases you out of being able to claim any losses from your rental real estate activities. So if we go back to that example where I show the IRS, I got a negative $5,000, uh, or get, that was gonna be a double negative. If I have a $5,000 loss from my rental real estate activities, if I'm making 300K, I can't claim that loss. I mean, I can offset my other passive income, but I can't further claim the loss. It it becomes suspended and it sits on my returns. So then what you do is you say, well, can we qualify somebody as a real estate professional? So we'll typically look to the spouses for that and, and we'll get them involved in the rental real estate activities and see if they can qualify as a real estate professional. If we can meet those hurdles um, into qualify, it's 750 hours and greater than half your time in rental real estate. There's also a, well, in a real property trader business, but then there's also a material participation requirement. That's probably out of the scope of this podcast. It's a, it's a hurdle to hit, but if you can qualify as the real estate professional status, now all of a sudden, all those losses that I generate on the real estate side of the coin 
I can offset my W-2 income with mm. or my 300K or even if it's business income. Right. Because what happens is those rental losses become non-passive, meaning that they can offset any type of income. So now I can go and buy a 500K building. I can run a cost seg study on it. That cost seg study is going to give me 150K of losses uh, or, or depreciation, which will probably give me 150K of losses. And then I can immediately take the 150K offset my 300k w2 income but it's only because my spouse qualifies as a real estate professional mm. so where were you uh four years ago man <laughs> yeah four years ago i was slogging away at the big four so. <laughs> all the pain we've been through what are your thoughts just quickly on the the trump tax changes and where do you see just the next couple of years you see anything different happening there's a lot just depend on if he wins or not yeah, so Trump tax changes a uh, really good, I'll say, short-term boost for business owners and uh, real estate investors. Um, for on the real estate investing side of the coin, we have 100% bonus depreciation. So it used to be 50, now it's 100, meaning that I buy a million-dollar property, I do a cost-seg study, I can probably allocate about $300,000 of property to property that qualifies for 100% bonus depreciation. So that means I'm taking a 300k deduction today. Um, when I probably only put in 200K to buy the million dollar property. So that's great. Um, on the business side, we've got the flat tax rate of 21% for C corporations. Amazon, we mentioned them earlier. They're benefiting from that or will be benefiting from that. Um, and then we've got that 199A deduction, which is the 20% pass through deduction, which is also very beneficial if you structure your business correctly in order to claim that. So definitely for business owners, real estate investors, beneficial. Um, Folks with W-2s that are kind of like middle class, I don't know. We we don't have a ton of exposure to lower middle class, so I can't really mm -hmm. comment on that. But I can say that our solid middle class folks, they see a, a small deduction in their effective tax rate. But they all got mad because the W-4 withholdings got messed up. Or the, uh, the uh, yeah, W-4 allowances all got messed up. The allowance tables weren't done until it's like is it Q2 or something, 2019. Mm -hmm. and um, basically what, what that meant is that everybody underwithheld in 2018 and 2019. And so they're all owing these incredible Yikes. amounts of taxes as a result of that. Uh, but their effective tax rate has actually dropped. So if you look at 2017, they might've paid 30,000 in taxes, 2018, they paid 25 in taxes in total. But in 2017, based on their withholdings, they got like a $1,000 refund. And then in 2018, based on their withholdings, they actually owe $5,000 or something. So right. it's kind of like, it was an interesting, um, it, we had to have a lot of interesting conversations with our clients that were in that boat because it's like, well, you actually save money, but it doesn't feel like it because you have to pay now uh, yeah. come April 15th. Uh, definitely hurt people in California and uh, California, New York City and New Jersey. Our clients in California, New York City and New Jersey have been absolutely crushed uh, by the SALT limitations, that $10,000 cap on income taxes, state income taxes, and property taxes. Um, so they have been kind of like, we have had more conversations in 2019 about relocating out of those states than we've ever had. Wow. Uh, at, our, at our front. Granted, we haven't been around that long, but yeah, uh, it was pretty fascinating to, to, uh, to, to kind of go through with those folks. Awesome, man. Well, how can people get more information from you? 
Where so you can go? you can dial me up at therealestatecpa.com. Uh, just check us out there. You can click on become a client. We just re redid our website, so it looks pretty snazzy now. Um, nice. You can click on become a client, big orange button there, and fill out a web form if you're interested. And you have a podcast too, yeah. Got a podcast, podcast. yeah, the Real Estate CPA podcast, but about 30,000 listens a month. So uh, nice. we're, we're kind of no, there's a lot of real estate podcasts out there that talk about like, oh, the rags to riches stories and all that. Yeah. And we'll interview those same guests, but then we'll ask them, talk about your tax stuff, talk about your accounting stuff. And so people have given us a lot of really good feedback in terms of like, hey, we love seeing behind the curtains. So that's kind of our edge on the, the real estate podcast there. But yeah, awesome. that works. Hit me up on LinkedIn, either one of those three platforms. Yeah, you guys go check out his stuff. It's great. And uh, Brandon, thanks for your time, man. We'll definitely uh, want to get you back on because I could ask you a lot of questions, as you already know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm an open book. Feel for, I'm more than happy to. Thanks for having me on Awesome. Today. Thanks, bro. Beautiful. Thank you, sir. No problem. Dude, I'm just over here hoping tornadoes and a rip through my building. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. I know. It's starting to rain like crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's been a pretty gloomy day here too. So um, you're no, in Raleigh, good. right? Yeah, yeah, North Hills. Nice. But we are uh, we're actually exploring a move down to Charleston right now, Charleston, South Carolina. So Charleston's cool, man. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a, why why do you want to move from Raleigh? It, so so we moved to Raleigh from the D.C. area. Well. We, we, we spent some time in DC. Then we, I moved to Baltimore cause my wife worked at Under Armour up there. And so we were like, always like in the city in the middle of the action. And there was a lot of fun. <clears throat> so then we were like, all right, well, let's move to Raleigh because our family's pretty close to Raleigh. Uh, and we want to get closer to family. We want to have kids and all that. Moved to Raleigh and we're like, love it in Raleigh. We're in the burbs and it's just a little slow. <laughs> mm -hmm. so I think that we want to be back in the action, uh, at least for a couple of years. So it's funny, we were like, okay, well, let's move to Charleston. And then my wife started looking at houses in Mount Pleasant. And I was like, well, wait a second. Like, are we just going to move to Charleston to move to the Burbs? Or are we going to move to Charleston to be in the middle of the action? So we're like, we want to be in the middle of the action. So downtown Charleston. Dude, why don't you come to CLT, man? See, come to where? Come to the Queen City, bro. Oh, CLT. Yeah. Um, I've thought about it. I've thought about it. You got the it. Panthers. You got the Hornets. We got a baseball team. We're getting yeah. a soccer team. There's a lot of young professionals. You're getting a soccer too. team? That's awesome. Major League Soccer, bro. Yeah, Dave nice Tepper, man. the owner of the Panthers. I'm pretty sure they said it's the last U.S. soccer team. So interesting, interesting. Yeah, I might have to. I might have to talk to her about it. We we like tossed it around very briefly. I don't remember why she axed it. I don't remember why she axed it. I have to go double check, but. The thing yeah. I love about Charlotte is I don't know if you guys travel much, but the direct flights. Out of Charlotte yeah. Airport. The International Airport, yeah. The thing I love about Raleigh's airport is that you can literally walk through security in two minutes. <laughs> yeah. Not a whole lot of people uh, rolling in and out of Raleigh. But, yeah, Charlotte's got a nice airport. Charlotte's definitely a, a good contender. Uh, I think, though, I, I wouldn't know. I, would, I don't even know if I would know where to start looking in Charlotte. Uptown. Like, really, like, I mean, there's so many new uptown. condos and stuff. Um, then South End. So South End is like an up and coming. It's right on the like on the edge of the city. Mm -hmm. So you know you're a few minutes the light rail to get into the city. Um, okay, that's another plus was the light rail. So the train that goes from yep. university up here all the way down. But yes, yeah, it's, it's kind of like a hip new 
young professionals are there, a lot of cool restaurants and stuff like that. I'm going to have to check it out. So Uptown and South End. South End. Thank you. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I'll check it out. And where do you live specifically in Charlotte? I live in Huntersville, so I'm on the north north end. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. Okay. Per, uh, Is that like about like 20 minutes like from the Mormon? lake? Yeah. I'm 20, okay. 25 minutes from the lake. Got it. Got it. Okay. Okay. That's the other thing, bro. You got Lake Norman here. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm all into the water sports. Uh, yeah. Lake Norman is awesome. Yeah. It's a great lake. Yeah. So a lot of boat clubs there. You know, so if you don't want to own a boat, which owning a boat can be a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. My uh, my grandparents own a boat. My dad owned a boat for a while. He, he, went, <laughs> he went through a midlife crisis and came home with a boat and two jet skis. My mom was like, what the <laughs> and we were all we were all kids at the time we were like hell yeah this is great yeah. <laughs> uh, my parents live in hickory though right right near lake hickory so oh nice they go drop in there yeah yeah man yes that's about an hour-ish away yeah yeah pretty close they always pop down whenever they have flights they always pop down to charlotte 45 50 minute drive or so yeah awesome dude well thanks for the time man um looking forward no to getting this strategy call yeah, yeah. Uh, appreciate Looks you like scheduled. Appreciate you having me on the podcast. And yeah, let me know if I could do anything to help you guys. I'm, I've given my team instructions on what needs to happen, but this is more of a custom engagement. So, uh, just let me yeah. know if, if things are still confusing, and I can help facilitate some of that. Cool. Appreciate yeah. it. No problem, Chris. Right, man. Thanks, man. See ya. Bye. Thanks for listening. Discover how you can start building wealth with real estate, even without experience in our free book, Why Real Estate and How to Get Started by visiting WealthCapHoldings.com book. That's WealthCapHoldings.com book.